You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Welcome. My name is Neha Mahajan. I'm the business development and outreach manager here at Chug LLP Attorneys and CPAs. I'm sitting here in Edison, New Jersey, and joining me from Atlanta office today are Associate Attorney Bethany Maury and our paralegal Andrea Mora Alcator. Welcome, ladies. Today we're going to be talking about the EB5 visa, investors visa. What is it? What is this whole, you know, thing about the EB5 visa? Uh, you know, American Dream brings thousands and thousands of immigrants to this land of possibilities every single year. While most people come on family-based visas, some come on diversity, asylum, employment-based visas. There are millionaires out there who believe in the American Dream, who believe in the possibility of making it big here in the United States of America. And they're ready to invest in the American economy And through the EB-5 visa program, this is exactly what they get to do. They get to invest in American economy. Also, it becomes a clear route to permanent residency in the United States of America for not just themselves, but for their spouse and kids under the age of 21 years. Um, All they have to do is make an investment and create jobs. Looks like a win-win situation for everybody, right? But it's not that easy, right? And there is a minimum requirement of 500,000 US dollars. This is the amount of investment that one must make. Uh, This is set to change also. It's no longer going to be 500,000 or maybe it will remain 500,000. We will know in a few weeks from today. But before I delve more into it, I really want to ask you, Bethany, what is EB-5 visa? All right. I want you to tell our audience about it. Uh, who applies for it? Why are people interested in the EB-5 visa? Thanks, Neha. So the program was created by Congress in 1990. Uh, It was meant to help stimulate the economy, as you said, create jobs. Uh, And it was really designed for foreign investors and entrepreneurs that wanted to attain permanent residency here um, and wanted to invest in a new commercial enterprise here in the U.S. Um, They're able to apply foreign investors. They can apply as long as they meet those requirements you were talking about. There's a minimum investment amount that's required and that can also depend on where you're investing, the location. Uh, And then there's also a job creation requirement. But that's the basics of of what the program was created for and and the kind of investor kind of person uh, that would apply for this this program. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we know the investment am- amount of $500,000 is set to change. Uh, what is the investment amount actually needed to um, apply for an EB-5 visa as of now? As of today, under the current rule, the minimum is 500000 in a targeted employment area and a million dollars for a non-targeted employment area. Okay. And as you were saying, Neha, sorry, um, but you were talking about those numbers increasing. Uh, They actually did increase 
back in July 2019, there was the new modernization rule that increased those numbers to from 500 to 900,000 for a targeted employment area. We call those TEAs. And yeah. then 1.8 million for a non-TEA. Uh, that rule went into effect in July 2019, but it was struck down by a California district court uh, just a few months ago in June 2021. So those numbers, the, the 900 and 1.8, are no longer in effect as of today. The rules prior to July 2019 are what we're applying, which is the 500,000 and the 1 million. That's as of today, February 10th, 2022. Um, those numbers can change, as you were saying. There's there's uh, talks about new legislation and all of this, and I know we'll, we'll get into that in, in a little bit, yeah. but just wanted to talk about the numbers did go up for a short period of time. They are back down to that 501 million as of today, but that could change in, in the coming days and weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, you you talked about TEA, targeted employment areas. You know, Andrea, I want you to delve into it and tell us what is this T or targeted employment area all about? So the TEA, it's either a rural area or a non-rural rural area with high, high unemployment um, at the time of the investment. Rural TA designation is easy to determine. Um, they are usually cities and towns that are outside of the metropolitan areas with a population of less than 20,000 uh, people and also do not border a city or town with more than the same 20,000 people. High unemployment areas are more difficult to determine um, and typically they look at the unemployment rates of that specific census uh, using government data. Okay, all right. So, you know, the investors who are coming to apply for this visa, the EB-5 visa, they may have funds in various forms, right? It could be, uh, it could might not be the actual dollar amount sitting in a bank somewhere, but it could be spread out in, in various forms, right? In way of capital. Um, what are the acceptable forms of capital to fund uh, this investment and meet the, you know, investment criteria? Bethany, if you could uh, get into it, please. Yeah, so the capital in an EB-5 context is actually defined in the Code of Federal Regulations, uh, and they give six categories. It can be cash, uh, cash equivalents, inventory, equipment, other tangible property, and indebtedness, uh, indebtedness secured by assets. So it's kind of a broad range of, of different kinds of things that can be considered capital. Uh, there are some caveats that are, that are required. The immigrant investor must be the owner, um, and foreign assets and capital, that's a, that's allowed, that's acceptable uh, for an EB-5 context, but the, the foreign assets and funds will be uh, valued in US dollars at fair market value at the time the petition is filed. So that's important to do those conversions because you know it's always changing. Sometimes the dollar's strong, sometimes the dollar's weak. So you'll need to look into that. Um, we have a lot of clients that ask us about loans and promissory notes. Um, can that be sufficient? And they can. Um, there are specific requirements that, that the loan or the note will need to meet. So that's something that you'll want to talk to your attorney about. If you have specific questions, feel free to reach out to us um, after this live. Uh, it gets a little bit more complex. We don't have time to get into it today. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing to note as well is that the funds must be derived from a lawful source. And you, you think that would be obvious. You know, you can't do anything illegal, can't use um, illegal means to, to obtain the, the money. Um, but it's important because the, it, that it, unlawful requirement can be directly or, or indirectly uh, uh, sourced. So even if you've acquired the funds lawfully, let's say, for example, you um, it was a gift or an inheritance from a family member, friend, someone, 
um, that's lawful to you. You were it was gifted to you. You were you inherited that money. Um, but if the person who donated that the don uh, the donor in that in that case, uh, if they had obtained the funds unlawfully, whether you were aware or not, uh, that that capital will not uh, meet the definition for EB-5. So it's important to know that because when you file, you're going to have to provide proof of the lawful source of all of your, your capital. So that's something to note that, yeah, of course, I didn't derive anything unlawfully, but you don't know where did you get that money from? Is there a lawful trail you can follow for, for the capital? Yeah, that's, that's a very important point you uh, pointed out here, Bethany. Uh, you could have money, you know, saved up in form of cash somewhere. You could have been saving for years together. But uh, until unless you can prove that that's uh, that that money was acquired lawfully, that will not count as capital towards this particular investment. Thank you for mentioning that, Bethany. And I just want to tell our audience: we are live. We are live on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. We come live every Thursday, um, 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific time zone. And today we're talking about EB-5 investment visa. Who qualifies for that? What are the caveats? What kind of an investment does one need? What kind of a capital? Where to source that capital from? What is the legal way of sourcing the capital? And uh, why do you need an attorney? We'll be talking about all of this in detail. So hang on tight. I uh, also want to mention uh, really quickly, the discussion that we are having today is for informational purposes only. Uh, this discussion does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have a specific case that you want our attorneys to look into, well, you can send us an email, info at chook.com, or you could send us a question here um, in the comment section, and we'll try to answer those questions live for you, like we always do every week. Um, so moving on, Metni, you mentioned that there could be something called capital at risk, right? Could you, could you tell me in detail what does that actually mean? Yeah, so your capital must be at risk the entire time your petition is pending um, for EB-5. Simply put, at risk just means that there's a risk you lose, lose that capital and also a possibility of gain. So uh, one of the things clients ask us about is if they can invest in something or start something that, where they're going to have a guaranteed rate of return or possibly a portion of their capital invested in a project is guaranteed to be returned to them. That's not at risk. So any portion of an investment that you're guaranteed to get back would have to be deducted from those minimum investment requirements. So you make sure you want to make sure that, that that's not the terms of any project you're investing in. Also, the entire investment amount, uh, whether it's the 500 million, uh, if new numbers come out, whatever the number is going to be, that entire capital investment has to be fully available to the commercial commercial enterprise. So if you have some of it set aside for you to use, um, possibly, that's not going to be considered at risk. You have to put it all towards that business. And if at any time the business needed it for whatever reason, they would have to be able to, to obtain those funds uh, quickly and uh, not from your own personal accounts or things like that. So that at risk really just means simply there's a risk you could lose all of your money. And there's also the possibility that you could gain and, and make a lot of money, but there's no guarantee for either for either of those. Yeah. So basically, you know, all the money that you're putting in must be put into one investment. You cannot have it scattered, um, you know, as as uh, you know, uh, probably using it for yourself or some some other sorts of funds for uh, you know other operations. It has to be fully invested into that particular business, right? 
Exactly. It has to be at risk the entire time that at any time you yes. could have, you could lose your entire investment if the business fails. All right. And that's a risk we will talk about, right? What happens if you, you know, everything is at stake. If the business runs, what if the business doesn't run? We're going to talk about it in detail, but uh, Andrea, you know, historically EB5 petitioners could make an investment in one of the two ways, right? It could either be a direct investment or a regional center investment. And I think I've heard more about regional center investment than direct investment. Um, is one advantageous over the other? Should, uh, like, should people choose between one or other while making this investment? So both direct and regional center investments require the same amount of capital and also the creation of 10 jobs. Um, direct investments are typically done through owner-operated businesses, franchises, or um, investment in larger companies or projects. Uh, direct invest investments required uh, the creation of the 10 jobs. Regional centers are organizations that are pre-approved by the US government that would sponsor projects and solicit in, um, investments. The process to invest through a, a regional center was more complex, but traditionally seen as safer and would allow indirect jobs to count towards the 10 uh, job threshold. So, right. however, the status of the RC program or uh, regional center program is up in the air right now. So direct investments would um, are presently the only option. All right, that's that's quite insightful for anybody who's trying to, you know, uh, make a decision about where to invest. Well, I think direct investment, like Andrea mentioned, is the way to go for that. Uh, Andrea, you mentioned that for for um, um, to qualify for EB5, you must have 10 jobs, right? You must the business must create 10 jobs. Now, these will have to be full time employees, part time employees, contract, uh, you know, consultants, contractors, like, how do you how do you identify the 10 jobs? So you want them to be um, full time employees with W2s. So subcontractors, you know, on 1099s would probably not be advisable. Ah, okay, so that's, and that's something we should. Yeah, hit me. Sorry to interrupt. Um, I, you know, with the we're all live here in different areas. So, uh, but the like Andrea said, it's full time. But it, a lot of times people think full time is forty hours. For EB five, it needs to be at least thirty five hours. So full time still, but doesn't have to be forty hours for every employee. Thirty five is sufficient. Um, but like Andrea said, they need to be employees, not subcontractors, not independent contractors. Um, these need to be your employees, and your family members also don't count. So if you, you know, if you're you're filing for your spouse and your children, maybe they're 18. Um, if they're working for you, they don't count towards that employee threshold. It's important to note that as well. All right. Thanks for bringing that point out, Bethany. Um, Andrea, coming back to the regional center program, what is the status of uh, of this program right now? You mentioned it's up in the air. What does that really mean? So um, there may be changes to it. Presently, I believe they're going. Well, yeah. actually, Bethany, you could probably. Yeah, Bethany, why don't you? <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. About no, it. Yeah. that's fine. Um, the regional center program uh, was authorized by Congress. Um, that authorization expired in June 2021, uh, and it hasn't yet been renewed. So it's been about you know six plus months now, um, more than that, almost eight. 
where the regional center program has not been authorized by Congress. So any applications filed under a regional center have been kind of put on hold. Uh, there are talks that the, the uh, regional center program is gonna be reauthorized by Congress. They have the authority to, to do that, but nothing is concrete right now. Um, yeah. Congress has to act on that before before people can file under regional center programs again. So right now, most people aren't aren't looking into those options. They're really looking towards the direct investments. Yeah, and we all know when it comes to Congress and immigration, that's not a good mix. It takes forever for Congress to come up with anything, any reform related to immigration. So I hope uh, you know there's clarity soon on this pro uh, project uh, and these programs because uh, there are actual lives you know, waiting to get on with their lives. Uh, you know, um, I, I want to talk to you about direct investment process. How does that work? So direct investments, they're typically done through owner-operated fran uh, businesses, franchises or investments in larger uh, companies or projects, um, which is, you know, direct investments is actually what we're going to be focusing on today. So the first step would be to set up your new commercial enterprise by forming your company in the state of your choosing. Ideally, the state would be where you're going to be operating business, uh, your, the business itself. Um, the company could be any partnership, uh, limited liability company, corporation, whatever is, you know, based on your business needs. And um, I mean, something that you should consult with your attorney or business advisors, because really the this is, this is going to be the foundation of your EB-5, right? You want all of your yeah. corporate documents to be straight. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's really important. And that's exactly why you should talk to an attorney and make sure your paperwork is uh, complete, you know, and in a proper way. Um, you know, there are, there are a bunch of questions that are coming to me in my mind right now. But before I get into them, I just want to make it... Uh, very obvious. <laughs> we are live right now. I'm sitting here in Edison and Associate Attorney Bethany Maury is joining us from Atlanta office. Our paralegal from Atlanta office is Andrea Mora Alcatar. And we are talking about the EB-5 investment program, the EB-5 visa. Uh, we're talking a lot in detail about who qualifies, what does it take to qualify for this visa, how to proceed and what to be cautious about. So if you have any questions, uh, feel free to send it to us in the comment section. We're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And if you're watching a recorded version, feel free to send us an email, info at chug.com. That's our email. And uh, this discussion is for informational purposes only. This does not create a client and attorney relationship. Like I said, Info at chook.com. That's your best friend right now. <laughs> so um, the questions that I want to go into, and I think, Bethany, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, like any immigration process, this will require a lot of paperwork. What kind of documentation does one need to provide? And does one need a business plan? Yeah, so before you file anything with USCIS, you definitely want to get your business plan put together. Uh, it's very important to have a detailed business plan. You should hire a professional or an expert who does this regularly. Um, I would not advise relying on your attorney or a colleague or a friend who says they can do it unless they have experience. Um, the, the plan should be very comprehensive. 
and provide an overview of your business. It needs to have growth project projections, financial analysis, um, job creation expectations, uh, market data, all of these things need to be included in, in a very detailed plan that you're going to submit to USAS, which is why you, you want to use somebody who has experience in drafting these. Um, you're going to need other doc documentation we spoke about earlier a little bit regarding your capital, your funds, showing the lawful source of those funds. Uh, and then a lot of just of your regular identity documentation verification that you usually submit to USAS with any kind of application. Those are kind of the, the bulk of documents you want to get together before you even start filing with USCIS. All right. And um, what kind of forms are required by USCIS? Andrea? So it's form I-526. Um, you have to file that with all of your supporting documents and evidence. Okay. All right. And is that the only form that's needed? Yeah, that's the only form that's that's required by USCIS. Oh, fantastic. So it's, you really just need one form and probably a bunch of paperwork to support that form, right? All the yeah, the form itself, it's quite extensive and, and you do have to have, you know, your the information to fill it out correctly. Right, right. And uh, obviously, because it's a form and it's uh, important, you must have an attorney to go over it and to tell you because even a smallest uh, small mistake, you know, can throw the application off and there can be either a rejection or an RFE. Am I right? Right, right exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Bethany, uh, one question that comes to everybody's mind when they land in United States of America, no matter on what visa, right? And this question is, when do I get my green card, <laughs> right? Uh, that's the question that's on the mind of those who are coming on family-based visas. That's the question on the mind of those coming on diversity, asylum, employment-based visas. And I'm pretty sure same thing goes for EB-5 category too. So um, I'm imagining that because there's so much money involved in the whole process and you're creating jobs for America, investing in American economy, the process would be faster. Is that so? Uh, so yes and no, depending on who you are and what your other options are. Um, so you do get a, you do qualify for a green card through the EB-5 uh, by filing your I-526. You have to file your petition first. Uh, the processing from, for that can vary. Right now it's about 36 to 58 months. Uh, so three to five years, depending. Uh, that's just for your petition. You can't file for your green card until after your 526 is approved. Once your 526 is approved, you can file for adjustment if you're here in the U.S. or if you're abroad, you can file for an immigrant visa. Um, once you file for that, uh, then, then you get your green card. The, the reason this can be faster, particularly for Indian foreign nationals, is because once your 526 petition is approved, even if that takes three to five years, uh, once that's approved, as of today, all category, um, all countries are, are current on the priority date on the visa bulletin for EB-5. So for somebody like an Indian national who may have a, a path to a green card through EB-2, EB-3, uh, they have a long waiting period, which is only going to get longer. Everybody's talking about the backlog for these individuals. Um, and EB-5 is, is a much quicker option. It's not still not quick uh, could take I would say you know five to eight years sometimes even 10 years for the entire process but the good thing is once your petition is approved at least right now your priority date is current so you can file for your green card immediately unlike in some other categories now the priority dates can change you know the visa bulletin comes out every month 
uh, if the priority dates do regress again, they're not likely going to regress at the rate of those other categories. So particularly for Indian investors and in, in foreign nationals, if you qualify, the, the EB-5 is a great option. Uh, some other individuals, it may be better to, to look into other avenues that may be quicker. Um, so it really depends on, on who you are when you ask, is this quicker? Depends on a lot of factors. Um, but right now, based on processing times, uh, particularly for Indian nationals, it's something that they should consider if it's an option for them. Yeah, right. We, we know about that. You literally hit the nail on the coffin there, Bethany, because uh, processing times for EB2 and EB3 categories, we all know where that is right now. Um, and in EB5, you know, uh, foreign nationals, especially those born in India, if you want to qualify for EB5, well, you must have at least $500,000 in your pocket to invest completely directly into this category. And then you must uh, create 10 jobs, full-time employments, right? 35 hours per week. Um, and that, that doesn't sound easy for someone transitioning probably from an EB2, EB3 category into being a, uh, an investor or an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, it's not always easy. I mean, that's the, the, the hardest part is getting the money. If everyone could, could get the investment, then everyone could do this. And then if that would actually slow down the process a lot because there's a certain number of visas that are that are designated for this category. So there's a reason they have those thresholds uh, for the monetary amount. Otherwise, everyone would do it. Right. And, you know, um, we're in the last six minutes of our program today, of our discussion today. And there are more questions that I quickly want to go get into. Just want to reiterate, we are live on Facebook, LinkedIn and YouTube. We're talking about the EB-5 Investors Visa. If you have any questions, send them to us live here in the comment section or write to us, info at chook.com. Um, Andrea, you know, uh, we, Bethany spoke about the backlogs, right? right. I have heard of delays. Um, in getting green card, even in the EB-5 category, right? Uh, how true are these details? You know, I was reading a Forbes article on it. Well, there are US, USCIS has delays right now, just not just in EB-5, practically in every single petition that's being filed. Um, and the, a lot of it has to do with COVID. You know, that we're, we're seeing a lot of COVID delays, a lot of processing centers were closed, a lot of their personnel still working from home. So this has caused significant delays among every single petition, you know, out there. Of course, you have some exceptions, but again, um, this seems to be the pattern for just about all of it. Yeah. So if you are an EB-5 investor or thinking of making an investment in the EB-5 category, you know, remember that there could be delays that are, that are beyond anybody's control at this point in time. And if you have a kid who would age out at the age of, age of 21, um, your kid might not qualify for the green card petition, you know, that you are hoping to get through uh, your EB-5 uh, uh, petition. Um, so my question here is for you, Bethany. Once the green card is issued, right, no matter how long it takes, uh, does it ever expire uh, for the EB-5 category? And if it does expire, uh, what are the next steps? When does, uh, when does one become a citizen here? So in an EB-5 category, you're going to get a conditional green card. So after your petition's approved, after you file for either adjustment or an immigrant visa, and you get your green card, it's only going to be a two-year conditional card, which means you have to file another form with USCIS uh, 90 day within 90 days before your green your two year green card expires. So you file a new another form to remove those conditions, and then once that's approved, you'll finally have your 10 year green card. Um, with your 10 year card, you're eligible uh, 
for citizenship after you're a resident for five years. And that includes that two year conditional period. The only, there are some exceptions there if you're married to a US citizen, things like that. It can be a, a, a smaller time frame where you have to be a resident, but for most individuals, you need to be a permanent resident for five years before you can apply for citizenship. But you, you can apply for citizenship if you get your green card through EB-5. Right. So see, these are the caveats that are commonly not talked about. And this is why we go live every week so that, you know, uh, we can create some informational content for you all. And if you're thinking of EB-5 investments, well, these are some of the pointers that you must know. Um, now, Bethany, you know, the entire premise of EB-5 investors visa is setting up a business and making sure it is successful. But what happens when it fails? You know, and we're in the last three minutes of our discussion right now so let's let's quickly talk about this yeah so it's fine if your business isn't successful at first that's very common new businesses struggle if you don't make a profit or you make very little profit that's fine the issue comes if your business fails where you seize operations that can cause a lot of problems depending on when it happens um, so we don't need to get into all the specifics, but you should plan on your business. If you if you start a new business for EB-5 purposes, you should plan on uh, operating that for at least seven years, if not more, um, and be successful enough that you can continue to operate and create those jobs. You don't have to be making a lot of money, but you have to make enough to be able to employ people, keep your operations running, um, and make sure you can get through this whole process without the business failing. Yeah, I'm sure people are thinking, I wish there were an easier way to get permanent residency in the United States of America with all that money that they're, they're going to put right over the years. It's, it's all going to add up. Uh, but uh, there's not, there's no easier way. And uh, EB-5 category, although it's very lucrative, it has its caveats, it has its issues. But if you are looking to invest and if you are looking um, to get permanent residency in the United States of America, this seems like um, a slightly easier way than say employment-based categories, um, provided you have the money. Bethany and Andrea, thank you so much for all your expertise today. And thank you for joining us from Atlanta. If you have questions, info at chook.com. That's where you should be sending your questions to. And we'll make sure that you know we answer them and get you the consult um, that you require if you're thinking of an EB-5 investment. We'll see you next week. Take care, goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chook.com for legal and immigration and www.chook.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chook LLP team.